everybody. My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Black Ball. Well, we're back covering the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. However, today is a lot different from any of these shows that I've done before. Usually, I have uh, ex-members on, ex-members of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, a.k.a. the Plymouth Brethren Crazy Cult, or journalists uh, like Michael Bachelard, writers, um, or, or experts in cults. But today, for the first time, I'm going to be speaking with an individual who had a relationship with a person that was inside the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, but she was not a member herself. Um, if you remember, people are born into this church. It is extremely rare to, to not be born in this church and then become part of it. So we would like to welcome today our guest. Her name is Emily Victoria. Emily, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Um, you you reached out to me a few days ago, and I was when uh, we we spent a, a little bit of time talking on the phone, and I was actually kind of you know gobsmacked in a way because your story is so unique. Um, so can you before we get to um, the relationship and and then all the the post mortem and everything that happened, can you tell me what your upbringing was like? Like where were you born? Where did you grow up? And how was that? How was that childhood? Yeah, so I was um, born in South London, um, and yeah, I had a, a pretty normal upbringing, um, nothing unusual, all good. No. And then, um, and so you're 25, I think you said? 24. 24, my bad. Um, and so where, where did you meet this uh, young man, and, um, and, and you know, what were the circumstances behind how you guys met? So I joined a brethren company. Um, and that is how we met each other. And we were just friends at first. But yeah, I worked there for about seven months in total. And what was it like working there? Because we talked about this a little bit. We touched on this on the phone. But, you know, when you work at a brethren company, there's certain rules that you realize are in play without them actually telling you that they're in play, such as you can't eat at the same table with someone who's a member. So how long did it take for you? And did you know when you went, uh, when, when, you, when you first were hired for that position that it was a cult owned company? Um, so I didn't know. Um, but in the interview, the manager did say to me, like, we are a part of the Plymouth Brethren. Um, mm. and that was basically it. So when I started working there, um, it was actually, I think my first week at the, at the very end of the first week, some, a worldly girl said to me oh by the way you can't sit and eat lunch with these guys that's just not allowed that's the only kind of heads up that I got and it was down to me to work out who was worldly and who was brethren the girls were a bit easier because of the dresses and the skirts and the headbands but the guys I had no idea so most of the time I just sat on my own just to be safe so the guys aren't like um buttoned up shirts rolled up sleeves and hair parted at the side I thought that was like their bonnet and skirt yeah, it definitely is, but there um, there were a few other guys. It, it was like quite a, a posh office, I would say, so everyone was dressed up, so it was hard to tell with the guys. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised it was a posh office. They they made, what was it, worldwide, I think they made like five billion pounds uh, PPE contracts and things like that. What, what I know you don't want to get into the name into names or whatever. Can you tell me what kind of company it was? Um, so they they just like sold products. Um, 
our target for that year was a 20 million profit. So that's the kind of money we're dealing okay. with. Here. Okay. So then you're working at this company selling products. You were like a, a sales manager. I can't remember what you were. What was your project position? Leader. Pardon me? A project leader. Project leader. Okay. Mm-hmm. And where, and, and then you met a young man. What were the circumstances on how you guys first started talking and, and give me sort of an idea, chronologicalize it for me as far as your relationship goes. Yeah. So we started talking on my second or third week there. Um, He messaged me on Microsoft teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, We sat in the same office, but the office was dead silent on our floor. No one spoke to anybody. And he felt a bit sorry for me because I was kind of just sitting on my own. I wasn't talking to anyone. So we were just talking on teams for a long time. And eventually he said, Hey, I'll give you my number. We'll talk on WhatsApp instead. Basically, one of the managers figured out we were talking on Teams and had a problem with it and was saying, like, haven't you got enough work to do? So we moved it to WhatsApp instead. And that's kind of where things romantically started. And WhatsApp is is a violation of Plymouth Brethren code, right? Like you can't you can't utilize certain sites and certain apps. Is that correct? Um, that is correct. But WhatsApp for them is fine. Um, huh. The fact that. I had his number is really bad, but um, yeah, they don't use like Facebook or anything. They use LinkedIn as kind of their social media page, but other than that, no. So what, what is it like dating someone who was born? Okay. So so I always, I often like to preface these kinds of questions actually. So I'll do that now. I have a, um, I've spoken with, with, I don't know, 50 ex members or something. And um, one of the things that, often ring true among many of them is that they have a a sensitivity barometer for forgiveness when it comes to people who were born into the church because it's not their fault right like they were raised a certain way and conditioned a certain way so at the beginning of your relationship what were the kind of telltale signs that you and him came from totally different worlds um Probably more when we were talking about the brethren stuff. I was naturally curious. I had no idea what any of this was about. And he would get very defensive and just shut down the conversation. And he'd say, I can't talk about this with you and would stop talking to me for a little while. But other than that, I'd say he was pretty normal. Yeah. And so what was your relationship like? Because when when we first spoke on the phone, I remember thinking, and I think I said it to you, that it kind of sounds exciting, like in, in a certain way, because it's it's taboo. It's a weird kind of taboo because it's not your typical taboo. It is a religious firewall kind of taboo. But um, did you know? So you guys had a had to basically sneak around, like it was like a secret. It was like Romeo and Juliet shit. So like, can you give me give me, can you give me an idea on what what that was like? Yeah. So it was fun and exciting, obviously. Um, Basically, he would wait for his family to go to sleep and then he'd sneak out. So he would literally climb out his window, abseil down the side of his house, drive 45 minutes to come to my house. And we would stay up all night and then sleep for about an hour or two and then go to work. It was crazy. Wow. And um, and so you guys were together for about seven months, you said? Yeah, roughly. So give me an idea then, um, when did it start to go south a little bit? Like, I know, I guess there was always that stressor, that stress point 
of of him having to hide the fact that he was in a relationship with a quote outsider or worldly person i think they called him but what 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 happened like was there a, was there a sort of a tipping point and then is was downhill from there like how did that work yeah so there was a few events leading up to it um basically i got sacked from the job because they saw me as a threat to him and they wanted to keep us apart so that was the first thing and then um he was driving over to my house in the middle of the night and his mum called him because she had noticed he wasn't at home um so he went back um and that was kind of fine but then his priest said hey we just want to have a meeting with you see how things are going and from that he said okay i'm going to tell them that i'm going to leave i'm going to come live with you um but from that meeting they convinced him to um block him block me and not talk to me again and then but that didn't last though did it no so that night um he he did block me and then hours later he unblocked me to see if i was okay because i was really upset and i did i drove to his house and i convinced him to come out and speak to me um but yeah this led to six months of backwards and forwards of him saying he can leave and then blocking me again and yeah it was really up and down and then you actually met with a couple of their elders yes so i it was obvious he wasn't able to leave for me and it got to a point where i I was kind of like well i can't ask him to leave and not be willing to join myself so you know he was very on board with it and uh, luckily the ceo of, of my company i worked for was an elder so i contacted him pretending that i had like a work issue after like being sacked and then when he picked up the phone i was like hey i want to join wow. <laughs> um, and then yeah we ended up meeting what was that meeting like um so it was two elders and and me um it was pretty bizarre um they basically put me down the whole time and was kind of saying like you know we are a privileged group of people we were born into this holy special fellowship what makes you think you're good enough to join us as an outsider what did you say um i kind of was just like well it's what I want to do and and you know you don't know me but if you get to know me you'll be you can see that I I really am willing and I kind of said to them you know I I wasn't speaking to my family and friends I was reading the bible you know the boy gave me a whole script of things that I should say to try and impress them so I was just trying to get on their good side really and then how did that meeting wrap They, they, they weren't very nice to you were they no not really i'm Um, shocked emily (laughs) just absolutely shocked go ahead um so they just basically spoke down to me the whole time um and they would just make kind of snide comments and laugh at me when i said you know where i was from what my family was like you know that i didn't know the bible inside and out um but the way it ended is they said that they'd be in contact with me and we'd meet in about two weeks time um so I started to chase them at that sort of point to say like hey can we meet again but they just gave me an email of a guy 
and said you need to talk to him instead and he's basically like the PR guy for the brethren uh-huh. um, and he never got back to me so that's kind of where it ended what did this do to you emotionally because uh, one thing about it that stuck out from when I talked to you on the phone is that you guys were actually like into each other there was real emotion there um, you love this person and and the fact that these types of circumstances um, did two things. One, it drove you apart. The second thing is that you considered joining this cult because of your feelings for this person. Where are you now and, and how has it taken its toll on you? Um, so at this point, me and him haven't spoken for three months. So mm. I... And even before that, it was very difficult. And I feel like I've kind of learned to live without him at, at this point. You know, I, for a long time, I was coming to terms with the fact that he's not going to be able to leave. But it was very hard at, at the beginning. You know, I, I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. I didn't leave the house. I was just crying all of the time. And, you know, the constant back and forth of like, we'd be talking and then, you know, he'd block me again out of the blue and then he'd come back and say, I want to be with you. It was just constant up and down and I really didn't cope with it well. And can you tell me what he was like? Like, like take the negative stuff aside. Just, what, why were you drawn to him? Um, he was just such a lovely, sweet boy. And, you know, he had kind of had this rebellious fun side and, you know, I'm a bit more of a mature serious person but he really brought out that fun side in me and we just laughed so often and we just got on so well is that fun side of you something that um you can take with you or do you think or have you kind of um has the breakup kind of put you back to where you were before you met him uh, no i think i kind of stayed with the fun side actually i learned a lot from him that i've taken away from all of this such as um well how to have more fun and, and laugh and not take life so seriously but also um i guess just how love isn't enough sometimes are you uh, do you have a creative outlet i'm asking you that because I, i'm i'm a person where when breakups happen i i have to retreat to creative outlets in order to purge what it is that i'm feeling and i was just wondering I'm just kind of curious if you have something that you were able to sort of utilize as a therapeutic tool to sort of get over this relationship, because this relationship isn't your typical type of relationship. You guys didn't break up because you didn't like each other. You guys broke up because the organization that he belonged to made him feel like he was sinning if he saw you. And you're a lovely person. Like you seem like such a lovely person. Like it's, it's, it's remarkable to me that somebody, you know, could trade, uh, away love for what for for their religion you know like is there yeah you know like what kind of uh what kind of outlet did you have in order to help cope with if, if anything um mainly going to the gym that was kind of my thing yeah. um it definitely got me out of the house and out of the kind of pit that I found myself in I did um I I wrote a few letters to him as well that I never sent but it was just an outlet just to get it out on paper and you know in the bin ultimately does that help I, I've heard that for you for a long time about people uh who write letters but don't send them and then I guess the release is the ink to the paper is that sort of what it was like for you yeah so it kind of felt like even though 
um I didn't send it it felt like I had said it and the words were kind of out there and they weren't in my head anymore so I don't know there's something therapeutic about binning them as well it's like you know this is over now you know it's done it's gone do you think that you're at a place in your life where if he reached out again that you would have the strength to to be like no I can't do this or do you think that you're still in sort of a place where you just you wouldn't be able to help yourself and you you'd want to you'd want to you know communicate um I think I would say to him leave first and then come and find me and then we'll talk because I can't go through the back and forth again that makes me want to weep <laughs> you know yeah. like it is it's, it's romantic and, and I'm not trying to make light of it I, I really am not I, it's just I'm just trying to think back in my own life I've have if I have any examples of this like circumstantial reason to break up with somebody that you really love and I can't even think of one like it's not it's not it's very Romeo and Juliet um and um one interesting thing is that before you started dating him um you were a non-believer as far as religion goes but then dating him he, despite the fact that he was part of that extremist sort of sect of Christianity um it it turned you into a believer is that right kind of yeah so I have ha always had an interest in it and mm -hmm. when we were just friends I kind of he was the first Christian I knew so I had all these questions and you know he answered a lot of them and it, it kind of grew from there but he is not the sole reason he's just part of the reason do you want to hang out with me so that we can get you back to the land of atheism because I can help you with that uh, no, you can't help me with that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, but it's good. It's it, it's it's. It, it, I think it's worth noting that you've been able to sort of extract positive things to take away from that relationship, despite the fact that it ended the way it did. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. Yeah. Give me an example, or or give me just sort of put me in your mind, your state of mind right now. Like like, you know. I know that the lingering effects from relationships can stay with people for a long time, um, especially if they've been betrayed. This wasn't that though. This was like, you know, his, his actual religion um, telling him that he can't. So, you know, where does that put you today? Are you ready to date? Are you, are you sort of taking it easy? Like what, what's going on with Emily these days? Um, I have been on some dating sites, but I'd say no, I'm not really ready to date. Um, in terms of how I am today, you know, I hold a lot of compassion for him and that it's a tough situation, but there is parts of me that is like, I didn't deserve any of this. I shouldn't have been brought into your world and you brought me into it and you're not holding yourself responsible of what happened to us and me. So there is some level of anger there too. Do you also feel like, and I asked you this uh, the other day, that you in a way dodged a bullet? Because what if the elders were really nice to you and they were like, come on in? What do you think your life would be like today? Um, so and do you I, think that you could wear those bonnets and skirts? Like, do you think you would, you'd rock those? I, mean, or? <laughs> I quite often wear dresses anyway. I'm wearing one now. And yeah, you know, I have a lot of hair, so I don't mind tying it back. That wasn't the issue for me, to be honest. No. What would have been, but the, but the, but the, uh, sub, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The subjectification? No, subju, subjugation. I can't remember the word I'm looking for, but the oppression of women. 
you know, the, the, the women cook and clean and have babies. Is that, you know, would that have been, I, I mean, for some people, maybe that's ideal. I, I don't know. Like, it, I guess it's ideal if you choose a lifestyle and that's what you choose. But if you're forced into that lifestyle box, that's a different story. But how do you think you would have coped with being a full-fledged member of the cult and not being able to speak until your husband said you were allowed to speak and things like that? Um, so I wouldn't have minded a, a more traditional household. That wasn't so much an issue. Um, I do speak my mind, though, and I think I would have got into a, a lot of trouble with that, obviously being a woman. Um, mm. So my idea was get in there, get married to him as soon as possible, because that probably would have happened quickly, and then get him out, you know, before the babies come and before all this toxic stuff happened. That was my ultimate goal. I wasn't saying I was going to spend a lifetime in there, hopefully. That would have that would have been a movie <laughs> Try, yeah i was hoping to be like a little undercover spy almost and come yeah. out with all this information and be like guys look what i found and then have my guy with me at the end of it were your family and friends aware of the um of the context that he was living inside of um i think my family was i definitely spoke to them about it and i kind of said that like i explained i wanted to go into it and for a while possibly a few years we wouldn't be able to talk they kind of are more they were upset but more you know you're an adult you can do what you want if that's it as bizarre as it may be do it but my friends not so much there was no kind of compassion or understanding and you know my best friend in particular thought I was absolutely nuts in what way for wanting to do all this for a boy she was like boys are not worth it like he said he doesn't want to be with you move on now that sounds harsh but was she right in some respects yes i think yeah. so sometimes i guess the delivery of good advice if the delivery is harsh the advice doesn't sound very good but i mean i guess in hindsight um if she was like you know maybe you should try to move on from this because it looks like the cult has him <laughs> you know yeah definitely yeah. tough love I, I i appreciate friends like that but sometimes i don't uh, you know like sometimes their tough love comes at a time where 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 it's like you can tell me something but can you just do it in a nicer way please yeah <laughs> because... be gentle i'm fragile right now that's right <laughs> so where is life for you right now like are you are you working are you um you know are you spending uh, uh, do you feel normal again you know because i know that the there there is um People that aren't part of the cult that sort of nibble the edges of the cult still get hit with shrapnel from the cult and it impacts their lives. It certainly must have impacted you because of the way that your life path has uh, could have been one way, but now it's another way without the person that you had feelings for. But um, is there any last like negative ancillary impacts that you've been experiencing since this whole experience? Um, I think the thing I, I do struggle with is that kind of what if is probably always going to be in the back of my mind because we didn't get to see out the duration of our relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, actually, my life is in a lot better position now than when before I met him. So yeah, I, I'm pretty good. What makes it in a better position? I'm just kind of curious what your life is, what, what you're doing now. Um. Well, from this experience, I did meet quite a few like ex-brethren people because I just wanted 
as much information as possible before I joined this cult. So, yeah. you know, I have a bunch of new friends now and, um, you know, I have new jobs and obviously I'm a Christian now. So it kind of worked, I guess, in the end. Yeah. Well, listen, I think, um, you know, I think that the story is compelling. Uh, you know, the, the, the fact that you had to go through something like that is unfortunate, but maybe the growth that you experienced is, is positive in the long run. You seem great. Um, you know, you seem very well put together. Um, I thank you very much, by the way, for joining us here on Blackball. I really appreciate your time. No worries. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye, Emily. That is a first. I would love to see how many people. I know that there's uh, there's someone that I know in Australia that um, who whose wife is uh, is someone that uh, wasn't part of the cult and then um, I think married him after he got out. But th this is the first time that I personally have I've heard of a story of a person who has had a relationship with a person that was in the uh, PVCC but uh, was not a member themselves. I'm sure there's going to be ex-members that contact me saying that maybe it's more common than I think. But just for as a person who's done, I don't know, 75 podcasts on this cult, uh, talked to at least 45, 50 ex-members, I have yet to hear uh, of, of this type of story. Maybe I did hear one in passing, but uh, I've certainly never spoken to anyone. And, and she seems so lovely um, that it is, uh, you know, that guy must be kicking himself, but that's the, um, the power of this cult is that, you know, someone as, uh, as clearly as, as lovely as, as Emily is, and you throw her away um, because your cult told you that you had to throw her away. It, it, it's sad. It's tragic. It's all those things, but it's also something that I think um, is indicative of just how powerful it can be to be brainwashed from birth. So, um, <clears throat> so my, my hat's off to, uh, to Emily. I think that she's, she's, a, she's not only brave, but she's one of those people who, you know, um, seems to be able to navigate the waters of this kind of, uh, tragedy or heartache uh in a way that seems to be beneficial for her i thought it was really interesting that she uh went from being uh, a non-believer to uh a christian because of uh, of his influence i'm not passing any judgments on that at all i just find it interesting and i'm really happy that she uh didn't join the cult in the end but um also at the same time sad that she couldn't see out that relationship uh so my big thanks to emily this Thursday, I'm going to have a, a one podcast or two between now and Thursday. I'm, I'm back now. I'm back in the saddle. Uh, I'm going to be doing podcasts on a regular basis. I'm going to be writing more. Dean keeps on messaging me, telling me to write more. So I'm, I'm going to start doing that. Um, there's two stories, first of all, that I want to talk about uh, before we go. One of them is the Australia has uh, approved MDMA and psilocybin for PTSD and depression. And they're the first country in the world to actually uh, come up with uh, psychiatrist-led therapy sessions dealing with PTSD and depression by utilizing MDMA and psilocybin. I think that this is uh, wonderful, um, and not for the silly, funny reasons, because I like to do hero doses of mushrooms every once in a while. I truly believe that, uh, that psychedelics especially have uh, a unique place in, uh, in medicine, uh, especially when it comes to mental health. Um, and MDMA being used for PTSD. If you have ever done ecstasy, 
where you weren't at a nightclub, uh, where, where you were just hanging out with people and you realized uh, halfway through the night how positive everyone was being. It, it, it is interesting. It's not like... Uh, Sometimes I really don't like it when people compare um, drugs like MDMA and uh, and mushrooms to cocaine or alcohol or even weed. They are not even in the same universe. Uh, there's something. Um, first of all, MDMA is an empathic drug. It, it it strips you of your ego. It makes you positive. It makes you look at things, uh, look at other people, uh, and understand their perspectives. Especially if you're if you're engrossed in conversation and you both are high on MDMA it's lovely. Um, it's, it's not all, f you know, messed up and you're, you're not, you're not, you know, sitting there not making any sense or whatever. It is a great therapeutic exercise to just have a great conversation for hours on end while you're on MDMA and, uh, psilocybin a little bit more inward strips you of your ego. It, it makes you look at things without having to be poisoned and bothered by that negative voice inside your head. Um, and, and if used right, uh, it can really be beneficial in the battle against depression and to improve your overall mental health. So um, that's a story that I'm going to see if I can get on uh, the Australian psychiatrist whose name escapes me right now, who uh, put the program together. I've been emailing back and forth with him. So we're going to try to get him on either this week or next. And on Thursday, one of my favorite all-time artists, his name is Sage Francis. If you do not know who Sage Francis is, that's okay. I almost envy you because if you go to YouTube right now and just type in Sage Francis, start with Makeshift Patriot. Makeshift Patriot is a political song that he put out in 2001, exactly one month after 9-11. He put it out on Napster. And it actually uh, worked against him in, in a certain way. He didn't want to be known as a political rapper and he was not a political rapper. This song is certainly a political song. and uh, But it put him on the map as well. And then throughout the years, this guy is a great poet. He's a uh, he's one of the most respectful practitioners of hip hop culture. And I love that about him. So Sage Francis will be on on Thursday, and we will have a show for you, maybe even tonight, but also uh, definitely tomorrow as well. Uh, and until then, we'll see you next time on Black Bulb. Black Bulb. Black 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 Bulb. Listeners, I'm Christy and I'm Melissa, and this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back, and that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. 
Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.